The Lord is truly good, and we are truly glad, if you're visiting with us, that you have come to, to worship with us this morning. It has been said that Resurrection Sunday is the Super Bowl of the Christian calendar. Amen. The Resurrection Sunday is the most important Sunday of the Christian calendar because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important or central event in the life of Jesus. Because if Jesus had lived and if he had died, but if he had not risen from the grave, we could not rejoice in the power of God with hope that one day we would be risen. One day a college student challenged another college student who was constantly uh, irritating him and nagging him about the Christian faith. So the Christian college student went to the agnostic, the one who wasn't sure what he believed about God, and he told him, he said, listen, if you prove that Jesus did not bodily raise himself from the dead, then you will find a crack in the foundation of Christianity that will cause Christianity to crumble. He said, all you have to do is prove that Jesus was not bodily raised from the dead. Well, the student that he challenged was a a brilliant uh, student who had aspirations of becoming a lawyer, it was confirmed to him from, from a lot of people that he, he would make a great lawyer and he should put his mind into law. So when he heard the challenge, he took the other student up on the challenge. And he spent the next few years trying to disprove the resurrection of Jesus. This is a true story. He went throughout Uh, some of America's libraries and went to the greatest libraries that he could find. He stacked up evidence and and read books, but, but he seemed to be coming to a dead end. So he went to Great Britain. He went to the largest library in the world. He went to a library that housed some, some of the earliest manuscripts of, of the Christian Bible. And he began to research. He talked to librarians. One librarian uh, introduced him to a a man who was an expert in the field named Mr. Cobb. He went to Mr. Cobb, and and Mr. Cobb began to show him the evidence and and show him why he believes that Jesus was raised from the dead. This young man listened to Mr. Cobb because Mr. Cobb was an accomplished lawyer. Mr. Cobb then took him and and allowed him to, to meet some other people who made an argument as well. As the story goes, he, he searched for a very long time. He, he read different people. He researched and did everything that he could do. And, and, he, saw, and he saw that every argument that he made and every, every apprehension that he had about the resurrection, that there was a great answer for his problems, a great answer for his theories. And before he knew it, his heart had softened and he had come to believe that the resurrection was an event that actually happened. He researched scientists. He he researched anthropologists. And he came to see that it is possible that Jesus is who he said he is. The young man that I'm talking about is a gentleman by the name of Josh McDowell. 
Josh McDowell would come to, to give his life to Jesus. And in the last 50 or so years, Josh McDowell has become one of the most known preachers in America. He has written some bestsellers. This past uh, summer, my wife and I got to hear Josh preach in person, and we also got to meet him. And while he was teaching and preaching, he was defending Jesus Christ with such passion and such zeal that you knew that he had experienced the risen Lord. Jesus oozed from him as he proclaimed why he believes that Jesus is who he said he is. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we meet another man who started off persecuting Christians, irritating Christians, because he did not believe that Jesus had been raised from the dead. And he committed his life to disproving Christianity and harming those who were Christians. But one day, the Bible says that he was traveling and God knocked him off his high, ho his high horse. And he saw Jesus for who he really is. He saw him as the resurrected one. And from that point on, he began to spread the message of Jesus with a zeal and a passion. Jesus oozed off of him. And he actually ended up writing 13 of the 27 letters in the New Testament. If you would, turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. And we're going to look at verses 12 through 19 this morning as we continue in worship of the Lamb of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the testimony of a guy who once rejected the resurrected Jesus. In the first 11 verses of 1 Corinthians, he is Paul, is showing us why the resurrection of Jesus is central to the Christian faith. And the reason why he's trying to show the church that the resurrection of Jesus is central to the Christian faith is because some Christians had begun to go astray from it. So in 1 Corinthians 15, we see the longest letter in the book of Corinthians because he, Paul, knows that if Christians don't stand with confidence in the resurrection of Jesus, that their faith will crumble. Their foundation will fall apart. In verse 12 through 19, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 12 through 19. Your bulletins, I believe, say 2 Corinthians. It's actually 1 Corinthians. It reads as following, and, and what you hold in your hand is the precious, authentic, sufficient, inerrant, awesome, magnificent, unmatched word of God. This isn't some novel, some made-up stories. This is God inspiring and speaking to man, showing and revealing his heart. And it reads, if you don't have your Bible, feel free to look at the screen. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? 
But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testify about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Praise God for the reading of his word. You may be seated. Today's title of the sermon is Reasons to Praise. Reasons to Praise. As we think about Resurrection Sunday, by looking at today's text, I want to give you six reasons why we as Christians can stand in awe of God and praise him on Resurrection Sunday. Reasons to praise. As I said, Paul is defending the resurrection of Jesus. But why is Paul defending the resurrection of Jesus to Christians? Why is he doing that? Well, we see the answer in verse number 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. So, so Paul is, is, is going against what the church at Corinth have been hearing. There have been some some false teachers, some people who have been teaching something that is, is going on today in America. It's a philosophy, it's a teaching that says YOLO. You only live once. You only live once. And this was starting to seep into the church. We see in verse number 12, he says, wait a minute. Now, if Christ is proclaimed, if we preach that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. So he makes the point that if you are saying that once people die, that's it. If you are saying that you only live once and then life is over, then what you are saying is, is that Christ was not raised from the dead because you are doubting the power, the purpose, and the plan of God. The very foundation by which you are standing is crumbling beneath you. So he goes against that YOLO attitude. And some of us in here, we, we have that philosophy that you only live once philosophy. But as Christians, we want to be reminded that we do not believe that we only live once and then we die. We believe that once we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that life more abundantly has just begun. That we have eternal life. That death is a graduation from one state to another state, an eternal state, a better state. So he refutes and he goes against that YOLO attitude. In fact, later on in the book, he tells them 
He says, matter of fact, if, if this is your attitude, if this is the way you live in this you only live once attitude, then you, you might as well just go and get drunk and live and be merry. But no, there's, a, there's another life. So Paul then goes and he says, this is what I want to do. If I'm going to make an argument, I'm going to argue as if this is the case for Christians. So for the next seven verses, he argues as if the YOLO philosophy is the, the philosophy by which Christians live. If, if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, and if we only live once as Christians, he says, these things are true. Now, he states all of these things in the negative. He states six negative statements in the next seven verses. But instead of looking at these six negative statements, what we're going to do is we're going to flip them and we're going to turn them into the positive. And then we're going to look at the statement in the positive and praise God together. Is that all right? So statement, well, we're going to call them praise reasons. Reasons for praising God this Easter, but we, we're going to shorten it to praise reason. Reason number one we see is found in verse number 14. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. That's the, the first negative. If Jesus Christ has not been raised, he says our preaching is in vain or our preaching is empty. But we as Christians know that that is not the case. But why would some people believe that? Why is our preaching in vain? If Christ has not been raised, our preaching would be in vain if Christ had not been raised for a number of different, different reasons. And we're going to go through that in a second. But on the flip side of that, we want to see that our preaching is not in vain. Our preaching is powerful. Our preaching is powerful. And you can fill in the blanks on the bulletin and follow me. Our preaching is powerful. If Jesus has not been raised from the dead, our preaching is in vain because, number one, Jesus is not the person that we say he is. If Jesus has not been raised from the dead, then it is in vain. Our preaching is empty because Jesus is not the person that we say he is. See, in the Old Testament, God talked about his coming Messiah. His coming, the coming Christ, which simply means the coming king. And in Isaiah chapter 53, we learn that the coming king, the coming Messiah, is going to die for the sins of the world. In verse 10 in Isaiah chapter 53 in the Old Testament, we learn that not only is he going to die for the sins of the world, but he also is going to be raised to the dead. The Bible says that he will not prolong his days in death, and that the, the will of the Lord will prosper in him. So if Jesus was not raised from the dead, then we are preaching about a dead man. And we are preaching about a person who is not really the Messiah. If Jesus has not been raised in the, from the dead, our preaching is in vain because God is also a liar. And he's not a promise keeper. God has promised that he would not abandon 
the soul of the coming Messiah. But if he abandoned the soul of the coming Messiah, then when we preach about a resurrected Jesus, we preach about a God who really didn't keep his promise. God keeps his promises. The Bible tells us over and over and over again that he is a promise keeper. So our preaching is not empty. Our preaching is not meaningless. Our preaching is powerful. Why is our preaching powerful? Our preaching is powerful because our preaching centers around the one who was raised from the dead. It is centered on the resurrected lamb. Now, all preaching about Jesus or Christian preaching isn't powerful. But Christian preaching done the right way is powerful. Christian preaching that lines up with what the apostles preached about Jesus is powerful. See, some people go to and hear sermons that, that really isn't powerful because those sermons talk more about what we must do rather than about what he has done and what he will do for us. See, some people, they approach the Bible and they, they preach in a way that says, this is the Bible. And this is what the Bible says that we must do. And if we don't do it, then God is angry and not pleased with us. So do what the Bible says when you leave this morning. That preaching is not freedom. That preaching doesn't bring us joy. That preaching lacks power because it is centered upon what we must do. But the preaching that that we preach, true Christian preaching says, no, this is the Bible. This is what the Bible says that we must do in, in respect to a holy and awesome God. But we can't do it. And we will fail to do it in our strength. But praise be to God, there is one who did it. And his name is Jesus. And Jesus is our pardon. And Jesus is our power. True Christian preaching focuses on what Jesus has done for us and it transforms us because it takes the weight off of us and it says, no, Jesus, the one who I put my faith in, he is the one who's going to transform me. He is the one who's going to change me as I set my affections on him and not on me. True Christian preaching is, is powerful. It is not empty True Christian preaching is not a, a list of, of principles and points that we must abide by. True Christian preaching is a picture of Jesus and how he did what we could never do for ourselves. And we leave in all of God that this amazingly holy, significant, and, and great God loves a faithless, messed up, screwed up, angry, irritable person. And that he wants to change me as I look to his son. I visited a mosque about a year and a half ago. And it was a very interesting worship they service. They do take their worship very serious. And it's something to be admired. But as I, I sat there and I waited for the teacher to come out and teach, I I wanted to listen to see what 
What is he saying? What is this, this teacher going to say that's going to transform me and, and help me to not be burdened? And as he taught, all he said was, you must do this, you must do this, you must do this, you must do this. And if you don't, Allah will not be merciful to you. That's not Christian preaching. Christian preaching is hear what the word of God says and love Jesus and beg Jesus to come into your heart and give you new affections. And that's the reason we can praise today is because the resurrected Jesus, when he is preached, he transforms our lives. So glad to see so many of you here today. Some of you are visitors and I welcome you. I haven't seen you before, hopefully. Uh, we get to meet and talk at some time. Uh, others in here are members that I haven't seen before, and I hope we get to meet and talk at some time. <laughs> My name is Pastor Jamal, and it's Pastor Nate and Pastor Maceo, and to the members, God bless you, amen. But maybe we don't run to hear Christian preaching because we don't believe in the power of the one who was resurrected. Had someone once say, you know, I don't, I don't have to go to church every Sunday. I can just kind of read my word every now and then or watch TV every now and then and, and catch it. And I'm telling you, I, I need God's word preached to me often. As, the past, as a pastor at this church, I anticipate hearing the other pastors preach because I need to hear God's word preached. And, and when I'm not preaching throughout the week, I'm listening to people preach because I need to hear God's word preached because it is the power of the resurrected one that will deliver me. You say, well, I won't remember everything that is said, and we talk about so much in one sermon. And I want to tell you that a sermon is full. When we hear God's word preached, it is nourishment for the moment. I don't remember everything that my wife cooked two weeks ago. I can't tell you what she cooked last Monday or, or last Tuesday. There are some meals I can tell you because sister girl put a foot in it. But, but the fact of the matter is, is that it's, it's not about me necessarily remembering everything. It's about me being nourished. And as I'm nourished time and time again, I can look back and I'm being built up. I'm being nourished on Sunday so, so that I can live Monday through Saturday with my eyes on Jesus. Besides reading God's word on my own. So the reason we can praise is because our preaching is powerful, because our preaching points to the resurrected Jesus. But then we see the second negative in this text, and that will be the longer point of the sixth. Number two is, and your faith is in vain. Verse number 14, he says, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, it's useless, but also your faith is in vain. Your faith is in vain. Why would our faith be in vain if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead? Our faith would be in vain because we would be worshiping a dead man who has no power. We will be worshiping a dead man who has no power. And Paul is trying to tell him, if, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, he says, your, your faith is in vain. A few verses later, he says, your faith is futile. Futile means it is aimless. It is purposeless. But instead of our faith being in vain, we want to switch that. And praise reason number two is that our faith is profitable. Our faith is profitable. Because we have put our faith 
in the resurrected one. We have put our faith in a God who can do the impossible. Some of us in here, we, we put our faith in people. People who displease us, people who betray us, and we all have been guilty of that. I've put my, my faith in, in people. Some of us got booze that we just won't let go. They trying to let us go, but we won't let them go. But the Bible tells us why having faith in a mere mortal, in a person, is futile. In Psalm 146, verse 3 through 4, the psalmist says, Put not your trust in princes, in the Son of Man, in whom there is no salvation. For when his breath departs, he returns to the earth, and on that very day, his plans perish. The psalmist says, it is silly to put our faith, to wrap our lives, to, to make our lives uh, wrap around one person because they are going to die. And when they're dead, they can't do anything for you. But that's the exact opposite of the Christian faith. We put our faith in Jesus because he is alive. And because he's alive, he can do some stuff for me. He can make a way out of no way. He can give joy when I'm joyless. He can be a friend when I don't have a friend. He can give me hope when I'm hopeless because he is in heaven interceding for me. Our faith is profitable because our faith is in a man who is alive, a man who the grave could not hold. Jesus ought to be the center of our faith because he will not fail you. Because God the Father delivers on his promises. He constantly told his disciples, listen, I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise again in three days. You read the, the Gospels, the four, first four books of the New Testament, we see that time and time again as Jesus is getting ready for his death. He's like, yo, y'all listen up. I'm about to die, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to life. And they're like, man, what is he talking about? In fact, most of the time when you see that, they start arguing about something stupid because they just, they just can't understand it. But Jesus did come back to life. And that's why we need to put our faith in him because he is faithful and he will never fail us. He won't disappoint us. Someone in here says, yes, he will. He will disappoint me. The reason I only come to church every, every now and then is because he's disappointed me. Where was God? Where was Jesus when this happened? Where is God now as I, I look at my, my state of living? I'm barely providing for my kids. I'm living check to check. Where is he now? I want to I wanna give you a, a, a Christian's perspective of that. See, see, Jesus is the resurrected king. He is the resurrected king. And, and, and we live in a fallen world, a world that is just messed up because of sin. And bad things happen to, to good people. Paul was uh, one of the most devoted men for Jesus in the history of the world, but we constantly see him getting beat and persecuted. But the Bible tells us as Christians a promise that, that if we put our faith in Jesus, not in our situation, not in our own dreams, not in our own plans, that Jesus will not disappoint us. Well, well, what do you mean? What I mean is Jesus, when we put our faith and our trust in him, either he changes our situation or he changes us for the situation. 
See, as a Christian, we can rest assured that, that Jesus always delivers on his promise. And, and instead of having our own ourselves in the center of our own world, we put Jesus in the center of the world. We say, Jesus, you are not my genie. You are not my butler. You are not the person that I just rubbed the right way and all my dreams come true. Jesus, you are my king. And at, while I'm going through this trouble, while I'm going through this pain, while things are, are falling apart, I'm going to worship you. I'm going to trust you because my faith will be profitable. And if you don't change the situation, you'll change me for the situation. If you don't take away the pain, you'll give me grace in the pain. If you don't take away the loneliness, you'll be a friend like none other. When your faith is profitable, you'll know it. Profitable faith says, no matter what, I trust God and I trust that he knows best. Faith says that God isn't here for me, but, but I am here, and I've been created to delight and to know him, and he will satisfy me. Faith says that I am here to make much of him, and he will prove himself faithful. Faith says that even though things, doesn't work out, things aren't working out the way that I want them to work, that at the end they will work out for my good. We can praise God because Jesus is alive and our faith is profitable. Third praise reason we find in verse number 15. Verse number 15. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. So Paul goes on, he says, listen, if if Jesus has not been raised, if Jesus has not been resurrected, our preaching is worthless. It is in vain because we're preaching about a dead man. Our faith is in vain because this dead man can help us. But third, he says, we are liars. We are misrepresenting God. So we want to flip those statements because we know that Jesus is alive and we want to praise Jesus that we are not liars. We are true ambassadors of God. We are true ambassadors of God. Verse number 15, he says, we are even found to be misrepresenting God. And when I was younger, fresh out of high school, I was uh, out one day, and this smooth gentleman, I mean, came up to me. I think I was at a a coffee shop or something, man. I'm talking about he was smooth, Brother Dent. He was smooth. He was dressed to the T. This is about the time before they had the the, uh, little earpieces when they first came out. You know, had a Blackberry. That's when Blackberries was popular, before uh, the iPhone. And he came to me, he said, young man, I'm a, I'm a business owner, man, and today I'm just really feeling good. I'm really feeling, feeling lucky. It's just something about the way you carry yourself, man. I, I, if you give me just 25 minutes of your time, man, I, I can really help you to make some money. And I was excited. I'm like, man, I need money. I'm about to go to college, right? So we, we sat down and we talked, and he told me about this business endeavor that just started and how he was making all this money and how easy it was, and I want to preface this by saying this was probably one of the dumbest things I ever did in my life. One of them, amen. (laughs) Got a little list, but this is one of them. So I'm all excited. I'm like, yeah, so we're sitting down, he's talking, he's just pointing pictures, like all you have to do is talk to family members and friends and get people to sign up for this, this new cable networking 
uh, thing. I said, okay, cool. He says, all you have to do is, is tell them to call us, and they will, we will switch their cable over to us. And we actually use the cable lines of all the major cable representatives, so they'll have the same service, just be billed by a different company. And he said, he said, can you think you can do that? I said, yeah, well, what's my cell pitch? He said, well, we don't have time to go through everything today. All you need to do is tell them this. He gave me a couple points. He said, run and tell as many people as you can. The record in a day is 54 people. Young man, I think you can do 54 people. And I said, well, how does payment work? And he began to tell me how payment works and, and how money would just begin to come in because we're a part of the system. And, as, and if I sign up more people, then I make money off of, off of their money. And then he taught me a word I had never heard. I grew up in Chicago. I had never heard the, the word residual income. I was like, what is that? He was like, residual income. That means that you are making money even when you're not doing anything. So I went crazy. First day, I signed up 25 family members. I was so excited. They was trusting me. I was pleading with them. My father kept saying, I'm going to sign you. I'm going to sign up for this as long as I don't have to give personal information. But I guarantee you, he didn't tell you the whole story. That didn't stop me. I went and told everybody. I even had a, a bunch of friends pay $500 to become a partner with. I said, ooh, you're telling me, amen. A couple of them haven't talked to me since, amen. <laughs> I'm just joking, amen. <laughs> but I was an ambassador for a lie. And as the months went on, the business got more confusing. My customers started dropping because those who did sign up, they didn't have the same service as cut cable companies. And what I was doing was in vain because I joined a dead man's company. <laughs> Praise be to God that as Christians that is not the case. When Jesus was resurrected from the dead, it verified that God is who he said he is and that he can do what he said he can do, that he will deliver on every check that he promised. He will deliver in giving you peace when you don't have peace if you call upon his name. He will deliver in giving you purpose and meaning if you're searching for purpose and meaning. He will show you himself and he will deliver himself to you. Because Jesus is alive. Christianity, unlike most other religions, don't have a grave that they can go to in order to pay homage to their hero. Jew and the Jews, they every year they make a, a pilgrimage to, to see the tomb of Abraham. Muslims, every year they, they pilgrimage, they make a pilgrimage to see uh, the, 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 the tomb, tomb of Muhammad, Confucius, and, and, and Buddha. We know where they lay, but there is no tomb that holds Jesus because Jesus' bones is not on this earth. His bones is in heaven. So when we tell people about Jesus, we don't misrepresent God. We stand as ambassadors of God with confidence, even though they hate on us, even though they, they, they talk about us, even though they call us Bible thumpers, even though they say it don't, make all, it don't take all of that. We can praise God and we can stand in confidence because we know that the message that we preach and the message that we proclaim, even though it is folly to the people who are perishing, it is the truth. 
500 people, the Bible says, right in your text, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, from verses uh, 4 through verse 8, we learn that the first Christians, the first Christians, over 500 Christians saw the resurrected Jesus. And Paul, to give proof to the church at Corinth, said, listen, most of these people are still alive. He said, if you don't believe me, go and investigate yourself. He said, you can just go and find them. Peter is still alive. Go and find Peter and ask him about the resurrected Jesus. Do some investigation. Why? Because I am a true ambassador of Jesus. Historians know something happened around that resurrection because after the resurrection, the ambassadors of Jesus, they weren't fearful. In fact, they were willing to put their lives on the line. Early Christians, they were persecuted and beaten and scolded and hung upside down. Their skin was was mutilated. They were nailed to trees and crosses, burnt alive because they had seen a resurrected Jesus. Would you be burnt alive for a lie? Would you be scolded for a lie? We can praise God that we have the truth. Number four, praise reason number four, we are forgiven. We are forgiven of our sins. We are forgiven of our sins. See this in verse number 17. And if Christ has not been raised, verse number 17, and if Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile, meaning aimless, pointless, and you are still in. Your sins. Feel the weight of what he's saying to the church at Corinth. He's saying, if you believe what these YOLO people are talking about, you're still condemned. You are still under God's wrath. You are still separated from the one and true God. When you die, You don't just perish when you die. You go to hell. Now, earlier in this chapter, Paul says these words. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in according with the Scripture says that the, the cross of Jesus, when Christ died, he died for our sins. So someone may be wondering, if Christ died for our sins, why do we have to believe in a resurrected Jesus? Can we just say, since he died for our sins, that's enough? Couldn't we, couldn't we just say that that was enough? We, couldn't the church just say, well, you just said this, so, so that should be enough? No, we cannot say it. That's that's not enough. While he did die for our sins and while that is what paid our debt and counseled our record before God and what makes us right before God, Romans chapter 4 verse 25 says these words. He was handed over on account of our transgressions and he was raised on account of our justification. So he was handed over, he was crucified on account of our sins, but he was raised on the account of our justification. What does that mean? It simply means that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it it is a celebration of what Jesus did. And it also is validation that Jesus is who he said he is. 
If Christ had not been resurrected from the grave, people would have just said, no, he's not the Messiah, and they would have been able to argue that. But by Christ being resurrected from the grave, it gives us confidence that we are worshiping the right one. And that when Jesus died on that cross, he, he bared the sins of the world. He bared your sins, past, present, and future. Is that freedom or what? He died for all of my sins. And then when he was buried, all of my sins was buried with him. And when he rose, he rose without my sin to show me that sin has no power over him. Symbolically saying that sin has no power over you. Guilt, shame, and regret as a Christian who looks to Jesus and sets their affections on Jesus by faith has no power because we are not condemned because of the resurrected one. We are justified by the resurrection, Paul says in that verse, because the resurrection gives us validity. In other words, we are declared right by God because Jesus finished his assignment. Does the thought of you being forgiven of your sins lead you to worship? Does the thought of the fact that when God looks at you, Christian, no matter what yesterday looked like, does the fact that he does not count that sin against you lead you to adore him? The Bible says that because Jesus died and because he was resurrected, that our sin and our guilt was put on him. And that his perfect life and his sinless life was then put on us. So my good days and my bad days in the eyes of God are equal. He doesn't love me more on my good days than on my bad days. Because Jesus covers me. It's radical. <laughs> it's radical. Stop and think about it, it can mess you up. Stop and think about it, it can lead you to praise God. When a person thinks about how Jesus is who he said he is and how he's made us representatives of his, he's made us sinful creatures representatives and he's also allowed us to be forgiven of our sin, we don't have to be pumped and primed to praise him. When you, when you realize who God is and that he's faithful, even when we're faithless, you don't, you don't have to have somebody do a cartwheel in order for you to say amen. When you realize who Jesus is and what he's done for you, you don't need somebody to do tricks with monkeys in the pulpit in order to get you excited. When you realize the faithfulness of Jesus, just meditating on the truth that Jesus forgave me when I was messed up, dirty, and stanky, it causes you to worship. It causes it to ooze out of you. It causes you to tell somebody about his goodness. And you may be telling them, listen, I don't have all the answers. Um, I don't know Greek and I don't know Hebrew. Um, I haven't memorized the Bible. Um, but all I can tell you is that God forgave me. All, all I can tell you is that I met a man. <laughs> I met somebody 
who love me in spite of myself. I met somebody who doesn't care about who about my yesterday, but but who who loved me in spite of it. I met somebody who every day treats me as if I'm royalty. I met somebody who said, call on me and I will answer you. Somebody who don't check their caller ID, but who said, if you call me, I'll be there. Somebody who never leaves me to their voicemail, but says, if you just call me, you'll hear my voice. Somebody who says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. Somebody who says, yeah, I know your past. I know you was a drug dealer. I know you are a homongler. I know you still struggle with some stuff, but I love you as if you were perfect. When, when you meet the resurrected Jesus, ain't nobody got to beg you to pick up the Bible and read it. When you meet the resurrected Jesus, ain't nobody got to pay you to come to Sunday school. When you meet the resurrected Jesus, ain't nobody got to beg you to lift up your hands and worship because you met somebody who's better than everybody else. You met somebody who has some depth to him. You met somebody who deserves to be famous and who deserves to be magnified because he's so beautiful. When you try to describe him to people, sometimes you just lose words and you just say, mm, we're going to have to talk about it later because he messed me up. You got a reason to praise. Fifth is because we have eternal life. Verse number 18. He said, you've been forgiven of your sins, but you also have eternal life. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. He said, if Christ has not been resurrected from the grave, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. See what he's saying? If you all are running around here believing this YOLO junk, He said that everybody who is dead, who put their faith in the resurrected Jesus, everyone who has recently been martyred, been killed because it's illegal to worship Jesus, everyone who has died, they no longer exist, and they died for nothing. But what's the flip of that? The flip of that is we have a reason to praise because we have eternal life. <laughs> we have a reason to praise God because it's more to life than this. I'm so glad that it is more to life than this. I'm so glad that one day I don't have to worry about an LG&E bill. I'm so glad that one day cancer will have no power. I'm so glad that one day I'll be with folk who won't try to stab me in the back and smile in my face. I'm so glad that one day I will not be getting on other people's nerves. My wife, like, I'm glad too. Says we have eternal life. Because the Bible teaches that when we die, something happens, something radical, something amazing happens. Paul says this, and later on in this chapter, verse 42, he says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. 
chapter 15, verse 42, what is sown is perishable, and what is raised is imperishable. He says what dies and goes into the ground, the perishable becomes raised, and it becomes imperishable. He says our bodies, when we die in Christ, is sown in dishonor, but it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, but it is raised in power. It is sown as a natural body, but it is raised as a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Thus, the first Adam became a living being, and the last Adam, Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. See, the Bible teaches that when you die, the moment a Christian dies, the moment a Christian dies, the Bible says that to be absent in the body means to be present with the Lord. But the Bible doesn't teach at that moment, the Bible teaches that we are, we are spirits in the presence of the Lord. We don't have new bodies yet. The Bible says that we get new bodies when Jesus returns. He gives us an imperishable body. He gives us a body that cannot sin. He gives us a body that will not break down. He gives us a body that will not roll or corrupt a body like his. Paul says, don't believe this YOLO junk. Because if you believe this YOLO junk, you have no hope. I believe that's why Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Did you hear that? Paul said, yo, to, to me, to live is Christ. Life is all about him. That's the mantra of a Christian. Life is about him and to die is a reward. And listen to what he goes on to say. For if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor to me. In other words, if I hang around here, I get to keep preaching to y'all, and that'll be fruitful. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. He said, I don't know. Do I want to die, or do I want to go to heaven? I'm really in between a hard place, right? But he says, my desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. When you've met the resurrected Jesus, you're caught in between a push and a pull. You, you, you want to be around. You, you want to see the grandbabies grow up. You want to see your kids get old. But you say, oh, I want to be with Jesus because uh, it's far better. And if you're not there yet and you're just coming to Jesus, don't fret. Keep, keep your eyes on him. Keep your affections on him. He'll mess you up. He'll have you caught. In between a push and a pull. Because he is far better. Sixth reason. Oh, your turkey is in the oven or pot roast is cooking. We want to get you out. Sixth reason. We see in verse number 19. Oh, man, this is a great one. <laughs> this will mess you up, amen? You looking at your Bibles? Look at the screen, verse number 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul says if, if our hope is in this life only, of all the people in the earth, Christians should be pitied the most. 
Why should Christians be pitied the most? You know, once I, I said this out loud, and maybe you've said it, maybe you have thought it, maybe you've heard someone else say it. Once I said, you know, if I found out that Christianity was true, wasn't true, if it was just disproved, you know, I would still want to be a Christian. <laughs> because of the morals it teaches and because it gives hope. That's not what Paul said. You know why Paul said we're most to be pitied? And you know why Paul later on says, if Christ has not been resurrected from the grave, I encourage you to go and get drunk and have fun? It's because Paul wasn't living in American Christianity. See, being a Christian in Paul's day meant that you were an outsider. Everybody else thought you were in a cult. You couldn't get a job sometimes. You get fired. You get beat. The laws wouldn't protect you. He says, if Jesus is not who he said he is, then I pity you because you are in for persecution without hope. You are in for persecution without hope. But another reason, I think he says that you should be pitied before we give the answers. Above all, is, is, is simply, it's simply this. Because now you have no purpose in life. See, a Christian's purpose is to, to get to know Jesus and to empty themselves and allow God to use them in whatever way he chooses. And to tell everyone about Jesus. But if Jesus is not resurrected, you are now purposeless. So the flip side of that, the reason we should praise is because Jesus is resurrected, we are envied and we are filled with joy. The reason we should praise God is because we are envied and we are, are people who have been given joy. And the reason we're envied is because if, if you're keeping your eyes on Jesus and if you're emptying yourself and you're constantly reminding yourself that God is in control of your life, if you're constantly just, just looking to Jesus and submitting and, and saying, Jesus, transform me, if you're having faith that he will transform you, then you have a purpose in life. You have a, 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 a target in life. And people will envy you. People will envy you because you have a peace and a purpose and a joy that is not rocked by the stock market. You have a peace and a joy that is not rocked by your job or rocked by the state of a relationship. You have a peace and a joy that is held together by the fact that you know that Christ has been raised from the dead. And if Christ has been raised from the dead, come whatever, come what may, he will raise me from whatever situation has me. We are people to be pitied. And some in here today, you are living an aimless, futile, purposeless, purposeless life because you have not put your heart into the hands of the one who made you and who loved you. Jesus died for you. He's the only person in your life who will never love you conditionally, guaranteed. 
And he wants to give you purpose. You're, you're looking for purpose. You're looking for meaning. You, you look at the, the world and you say, this does not make sense. You try thing after thing, drug after drug, person after person, job after job, gym shoe after gym shoe, thinking that just having this is going to make me happy and make me wealthy and make me rich and give me purpose. But at the end of the night, when you lie down on your bed, you're filled with guilt and you know that if you keep living this way when you die, and when you're on your deathbed, you will look back at your life in fear and trembling thinking, it all was in vain. Everyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus, everyone who looks to him by faith, is fulfilled. Doesn't mean that we're perfect. Doesn't mean that we don't ever get depressed. Doesn't mean that we don't try to trick people into joining our company from time to time. But it means that when Jesus brings it to our attention that we get to hear him say, I forgive you and I love you as if you never did. How can you, how can you not have joy when you think about the Easter celebration? How can you not have joy when you think about how good Jesus is? How can you not have joy when you, when you stop and reflect on powerful preaching? When you stop and reflect on profitable faith? When you stop and reflect on the fact that you are an ambassador of the true living God. When you stop and reflect on the fact that you have been forgiven of your sins. When you stop and reflect on the fact that, that you're not to be t pitied, you, you're to be envied. Because you have something that the world didn't give, Sister Debbie. And it, the world can't take away. Oh, my imagination runs wild when I think about that Easter story. My imagination runs wild when I think about that Friday night. My imagination runs wild when I think about what it must have been like when Satan found out that Jesus had been killed. My imagination runs wild because I, I can just imagine, this isn't in the Bible, but I can just imagine that, that Satan got excited. And I can imagine that Satan started partying with his demons. And I can imagine that Satan went to death and said, death. Did you, did, did, do, do you got Jesus? And death says, Satan, yes, I've got Jesus. Why would you ask me a stupid question like that? Everybody you ever gave me, I still have. I have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I've got Zechariah, Malachi, and Ezekiel. Satan, get away from me. Everybody you've ever given me, I've, I've still got. And I can imagine Satan say, saying, well, death, that's not all the way true. Because there was a man named Lazarus, and he was raised from the dead. And death, guess who did it? It was Jesus. So death, would you do me a favor and put a little extra oomph into this one? Because Jesus got power like I've never seen before. And I can imagine death saying, Satan? Get on out of here. I'm going to deliver on this promise. I can imagine Saturday night came along and Satan was a little nervous because he remembered that Jesus said, on the third day, I will rise again. And I can just imagine that he came running to death and said, death, do you still got Jesus? 
And death says, Satan, <laughs> don't you know I got him? I told you, I've got your back. Let me remind you who I got. <laughs> I've still got Sarah. I've still got the, 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 the woman uh, who, who, who Elijah ministered to. I've got everybody that you've ever brought to me. Satan said, listen, death, <laughs> if you keep Jesus, I'll give you a little something extra for this one. Sunday morning came, and I can imagine that Satan came running to Jesus, came running to death, and said, death, <laughs> do you still got Jesus? And death said, well, Satan, you might want to take a seat on this one. Let me tell you what happened. Death, <laughs> I've got to tell you something. Satan, early in the morning, Satan, I said early in the morning, well what happened death, early in the morning, I heard a voice, and a voice said death, I said yes, it said death, I said what, it said death, where is your victory, death, where is your sting? Early in the morning, an earthquake happened. Early in the morning, he got up, he got up, he got up, and death, I heard him say something else. He said, death, guess what? I've got power. I said, what? He said, I've got power. Power, power. I've got preaching power. I've got healing power. I've got deliverance power. He said, oh, 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 power is in my hand. Nothing can defeat me. Nothing can stop my plans. Nothing can stop my purpose. Nothing can slow me down. What the Father gave to me in the very beginning, I've completed it to tell a sign. It's finished. Satan, guess what? You can't stop my people. Satan, guess what? You can't stop my church. You may be able to discourage them, but they won't give up. You may be able to wear them out sometimes, but they won't give up. You may be able to confuse them sometimes, but they won't give up. You may be able to mess up their relationship sometimes, but they won't give up. Guess why? Guess why? Guess why? Guess why? Because I've got power. Power to keep them. Power to regulate their mind. Power to give them joy. When I think about Jesus and all that he's done for me, my soul says, it is well. When I think about Jesus and who he is, I can't help but to worship him. I can't help but to magnify his name. When I think about Jesus, all I can say is, precious Lamb of God, Jesus, my joy, Jesus, my peace, Jesus, my friend, Jesus, my liaison, Jesus, my bridge back to God. Jesus, my bridge over stormy waters. Jesus, author. Jesus, finisher. 
Jesus, King of Kings, Prince of Princes, Jesus, Rose of Sharon, Jesus, the Resurrected One, Jesus, say yeah, say yeah, say yeah, say yeah, Jesus, he can make a way out of no way, I dare you, I dare you to trust him, I dare you, I dare you to love him, I dare you, I dare you to give your life to him, I dare you, I dare you, because he's good, because he's good, I said he's good, I said he's good, all the time, even when I think he's not good, he's being good, because he set me up for something else. Every time it looks like it's over, all you got to do is remember that sometimes God works best when things are dead. Sometimes God will let a thing die. God will let a thing seem like it's over in order to show you that in him there is no death. In him there is life and life more abundantly. The truth there will always rise again. I've got a reason to praise. Do you have a reason to praise? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus? It's Easter, just about the close, just about tradition, just about being seen, just about coming to church so that you can say, I went to church on Easter. Or is Easter about Jesus? I don't got a list of things for you to do today. If you don't know Jesus, I just want to call you to give your heart to him. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. And the Bible said you will be saved. No magic formula. No magic formula. Turn from a life that's committed to pleasing you to a life that's committed to pleasing the one who died and who was raised for you. He can give you purpose. Today, if you're here and you don't have a church that you can call home, we want to invite you to join Forest Baptist Church.